This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're having a great day. Are you all dug out, Claudette? Yes, in the sense that I can walk out onto uh, my patio and down my stairs, but it's the big jaunt, you know, like trying to just go through the snow because I don't have that part shoveled yet, but I'm okay. You? You You have puppies, don't you? I have one, yeah. Do they like the snow? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, yesterday I had to go out and throw this glow ball down our driveway just so he would go crazy, and he did. So, <laughs> yeah, he loves running around in the snow. Yeah, mine's got definitely got some kind of husky snow dog in her somewhere. They get so happy, don't they? Oh, she loves it. I thought you she had a cat She loves it. <laughs> I thought you had a cat. I have a cat, too. Oh, okay. Yes, that doesn't go out at all. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the dog loves loves the snow she even has a little area in our backyard because we're kind of on a hill right she's got a little area in the backyard where she slides no True way. story yeah she slides she gets up there and she gets on her side and she goes Groom. oh <laughs> wow i would love to see a video of that yeah that so uh, you know as the winter progresses that area gets more and more packed down so it becomes like icy and then she's like Foom. <laughs> it's true she slides on it i would love to see that <laughs> That's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really cute, I have to say. But, uh, you know, okay, so the dogs are loving it. How is everybody else feeling about it, I wonder? It is winter. It is Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, I don't mind a bit of snow from time to time. I don't like it when it's continual and, mm-hmm. you know, just when you get things shoveled up. And then more and then boom, gets another, piled in. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that starts to get a bit trying from time to time, especially for people who are on their own or older or have um, they can't some health issues yeah, or whatever shovel. the case may be. It becomes really laborious, um, troublesome. Yeah, um, and you know how do you get by and that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, here we are with the snow and it was terrible driving yesterday in town i sent you a little text in my travels thank you for that yeah terrible out on the road what i noticed as well as i was driving home last night i noticed somebody so i'm driving on the main highway and then there are car there are houses with driveways that are perpendicular to a main highway so i guess people are you know walking around with their snow shovels trying to get that snow out and i watched one guy with the snow shovel i think he was just walking on the side of the road and he fell down like three times and I just I felt so bad and it's dangerous too if you're falling down next to vehicles right like it's just absolutely it's scary for people who are on uh, sidewalks or if there are no sidewalks you know that's something that we all have to be extra vigilant about yeah and it's not easy to walk in this stuff unless you got a pair of snowshoes and know how to use those right (laughs) (laughs) because I don't I'm the first one that goes (laughs) but they're nice and Oh, I love them. I haven't snowshoed in a couple of years. I have them, but uh, it it makes a world of difference. I used to cross-country ski all the time. Oh, me too. And I uh, haven't done that in a few years, but I still have. I bet you they're worth a dollar or two. I still have. Your your original cross-country skis? Yeah, yeah old wooden ones. Wow. And um, the waxes and all of that really? stuff. And the old boot, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Now, you know, they're probably not usable, but... 
I think you need to use them this year, Linda. I think I will. You and I go (laughs) cross-country skiing. It's a date. (laughs) Well, um, how much uh, snow did we get in our area? We had a call from someone this morning in Freshwater Carboneer who said they had a solid 30 centimeters, not so much in the St. John's area, I don't think. Environment Canada meteorologist David Neal joins me now. Well, David, a little taste of winter for many people on the island portion of the province anyway. What did we get in terms of uh, accumulations yesterday? Uh, well, what we saw, of course, we saw a good a good shot of snow across really much of uh, really the east coast of the island, a, f- a few spots uh, a little more uh, up towards, uh, even towards Gander, got a, got a, a bit of accumulation there. Uh, looks like a, a station on uh, in Concession Bay north of Victoria hit, uh, uh, picked up 32 centimeters. That seems to be the highest one we've seen, but generally across the Avalon, uh, Avalon Peninsula, uh, saw amounts generally uh, anywhere from uh, from 18 to, to 30 centimeters across uh, across the peninsula. Uh, going a little bit further west, uh, Lethbridge picked up 17, and, and here in Gander we picked up roughly 10. Uh, so that's kind of what we saw in terms of uh, snowfall. It's fairly quick uh, quick blast through uh, with some uh, uh, some good uh, northeast winds as well. So it created some uh, some pretty uh, pretty dirty conditions yesterday, as particularly yesterday evening. And temperatures uh, so far in January have been, you know, on the cold side. Can we expect to see that continue? I notice a lot of people on Facebook now putting out pictures of them skating on ponds and the like. Can we expect to enjoy, so to speak, the colder temperatures over the next little while? Um, well, yes, as you, uh, as you mentioned, obviously we've seen uh, we have seen some some colder temperatures, uh, especially uh, up to, up in uh, in Labrador. It's been quite uh, quite cold off and on, uh, and into the northern peninsula as well. Um, kind of looking uh, looking ahead, um, next uh, next couple of days, you can uh, can expect a few areas to see some below below normal temperatures. Again, kind of mainly up to, uh, up into uh, into Labrador, but parts of the island as well. So, kind of more, yeah, getting kind of more of that sort of wind. Wintry, uh, wintry type setup uh, that that uh, see not not looking at uh, at uh, temperatures certainly getting above the freezing mark uh, in in the next uh, the next few days anyway so uh, yeah definitely a good good time to uh, to kind of enjoy uh, any of that uh, some of that fresh snowfall that fell for anyone who uh, who likes to get out and and, and do some of the more uh, some of the winter winter activities and stuff. And in terms of uh, precipitation now, do we expect any more snow coming our way either here on the island or in Labrador? Uh, so what we're having a look at here now, right, right now over the next couple of days, uh, not too much uh, to speak of. Um, we do have a, a couple of systems. One's a bit of a weaker, uh, a weaker area of low pressure that'll uh, sweep across Labrador, bring a few flurries. That's mainly, uh, mainly through the day Wednesday into uh, into Wednesday night. Uh, but the next thing we're kind of keeping an eye on in terms of uh, something a little more substantial, uh, another uh, system that's going to be approaching uh, approaching the island from the west later this week. Uh, eventually going to move south of the island. It's going to kind of slow down, going to linger around uh, south of the island. And what, can, uh, what it looks like right now, we're going to see some snow move into the island a little later this week. Uh, going to be you know, fairly light snow for, uh, for, for the uh, kind of the later part of the work week. Uh, not too much in terms of accumulations, but uh, there are some indications we could see, uh, uh, some areas could see some more uh, significant snowfall into this, uh, more into, uh, into the the weekend uh, across, uh, over parts of the island. Right now, it's it's 
very, very uncertain as to uh, which area is going to see the, the, the higher amounts or thing, or uh, or really how much is going to fall. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's the next thing we're looking at, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's looking more kind of into uh, really into the weekend before that one uh, potentially will get ramped up. And uh, I know uh, there's a lot of people watching this one, and we're going to talk about it in the next little while. But uh, that massive um, wreck that washed up on the beach in Cape Ray uh, a few days ago due to a bit of uh, storm action in recent days. Um, what can we expect in terms of, because there's a fear now that this might get pulled back into the ocean. What are we looking at in terms of wave action in that particular area on the southwest coast? Um, well, looking ahead, the next uh, the next few days at least doesn't look like too too much in terms of uh, any sort of waves or, or sort of really nothing out of the ordinary uh, for that uh, for that area of uh, of the province. Kind of get under some 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 higher uh, higher pressure over the next couple of days. Not really a whole lot happening uh, down there the next uh, the next few days. So um, yeah, really not seeing much uh, really until uh, really even into uh, uh, into the weekend um, down down in that area in terms of any sort of like higher waves or, or, or any sort of surge right now. So it looks like or it looks like it should be pretty safe for the next uh, for the next little while anyway. Very good. And we'll get a little update on what they're doing down there now in the next few minutes. David, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. And David Neal, of course, with uh, Environment Canada in Gander. Well, when we come back, the province is fascinated with what appears to be an ancient shipwreck that washed up on the beach in Cape Ray, and the ocean is not finished with, I guess, revealing her mysteries. They might have found Amelia Earhart's plane. I mean, I, I was just gobsmacked when I heard that. I mean, that's one has been one of the yeah. most enduring mysteries of the 21st century. It's, wow, can you imagine if that's true? Oh, I know. There's so many documentaries about about the mystery behind it and yeah. so many different stories that would just answer so many questions. And I mean, Amelia Earhart uh, captivated the entire world. Who out there d- has never heard of her? You know what I mean? And uh, and just this, this tragic end to such a, an exciting story. Um, and now, um, and I don't know, did you see the sonar pictures, the images? No. It's haunting. It looks like a plane, and I'm no aviation expert, but it looks like that type of a plane, if you know what I'm right. saying. It's not like a big commercial airliner or anything like that. It is, you know, a sing, smaller type of aircraft, It so it appears by the, you know, the general shape of it and that. Um, could it be? I mean, and what happens now, now that, you know, this image has been captured? what happens now because the the pacific ocean is vast and it's deep and uh you know do you try to bring this thing up leave it where it is uh presumably it's a grave site you know what i mean um so people have strong feelings about that absolutely and i mean but it it will it solve the mystery you know once and for all who knows more questions or will it turn up more questions lead to more questions indeed but it is exciting anyway and there's so many strong connections here in newfoundland and labrador to the amelia Earhart story of course she took off from harbor grace 
that's you know one of Harbor Grace's claims to fame, one of one of many. And in fact, there's a beautiful um, statue uh, to Harbor um, with Amelia Earhart near the uh, Spirit of Harbor Grace down there in Riverhead. So uh, yeah, just a fascinating story. We'll be watching that one very closely. You can guarantee. But uh, in the meantime, we'll get a little update on what's going on with that mysterious shipwreck down in Cape Ray when we come back after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Well, we're captivated by the story surrounding the possibility that Amelia Earhart's plane may have been found, but we're also captivated by this massive shipwreck that suddenly appeared on the beach in Cape Ray on the southwest coast. My colleague Noah Shepard spoke with the province's chief archaeologist, Dr. Jamie Brake, to learn more about what the department is hoping to find out about it. We've certainly seen lots of uh, speculation about possible ships that this could be, but at this point I'd be, you know, very cautious about um, wading into any of that at the moment without having been out there myself and with with, uh, there being just so many questions left uh, around it at at this stage. Um, And I think, you know, we'll have to be uh, sort of cautious about that generally. The the chances of, of identifying which ship this might be down the road are probably not super high considering the number of shipwrecks in that area and so on, but uh, it is possible we could learn something from it, learn something about its age and, and so on. So we're certainly interested in, in that. Uh, when are uh, teams expected to get out there? Okay, so we're hoping to get out in the coming days. Um, a, a complicating factor for us is the is the tide. Our understanding is that this is uh, underwater most of the time, except for about an hour around lowest tide. And for the next few days, it's basically underwater uh, while it's while there's daylight. So we've got to wait until uh, the tide is right to be able to to do any recording. Um, so it's going to be a little later this week by the time we can get out there by the look of it. And so we'll also have to uh, be careful with the with the weather. So we're keeping an eye on. On that as well. So, sometime uh, in the in the coming days, we should be um, we should be able to get out there. And one of the things that we've heard about this is a call for people not to tamper with the wreck. Uh, how important is it that people stay clear? So that's really important uh, for a number of reasons. One is that you know if there's any if we if we want to learn anything from this, or you know if there's any hope you know, of identifying, you know, what it is or how old it is and those sorts of things. Uh, you know, we certainly, our chances are much higher um, if uh, if this is as intact as possible. So it's important for that reason, from a learning perspective, uh, for this to be um, uh, sort of kept as is. Uh, it's also, you know, historic resources like this are also uh, protected under the law. They're protected under the Historic Resources Act. And I guess there's also, you know, sort of safety concerns down there as well. So people should certainly be be careful um but yeah um, we definitely you know would like to learn as much as we can from this and and the more of it that's uh uh, intact and in place, the better from our perspective, for sure. Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, is no stranger to shipwrecks. But what goes into the possible identification of, you know, uh, what ship uh, this could be? I know you said there's a low chance of discovering that at this point, but also just what kind of ship, uh, what model, what country is it from? What goes into identifying those type of things? 
Well, there's a, you know, many different factors there. So first of all, our plan when we get out there is to try to take, you know, good photos of it. I know there's a lot of good photos out there now. We'd like to get some uh, some more. We'd like to uh, to do our best to map this quickly, and our plan is to use a drone to do that. We'd also like to collect some wood samples from a few different parts of the of the ship and the idea there is to identify the wood and also that might give us it might be possible to to, uh, to date the wood using uh, dendrochronology or tree rings um, it may also be possible uh, to radiocarbon date it um, uh, the other thing we'd like to do is spend some time you know walking the beaches and, and uh, looking around to see if there's any uh, artifacts that that seem to be associated with this that might give us an idea of the age of it as well. And then with that, you know, the, the type of wood can give us clues about where this came from. Um, the, you know, the, the components of, of the ship, anything that survived in there still in place might give us some ideas about the type of ship that it was. And uh, that sort of information can then be uh, compared with archival records, uh, you know, if we can figure out, you know, sort of where where this came from and the age of it, we can then and the type of ship it was, we can start to look at uh, archival records and see uh, what might have been lost in that area in the right time frame and so on. That's Newfoundland and Labrador's chief archaeologist, Dr. Jamie Brake. But time is of the essence amid fears that the wreck may not be accessible for long. I've reached Bert Osmond, who's currently on the beach at Cape Ray, trying to secure what remains of the wreck to prevent it from drifting back out into the ocean. Well, hello, Bert. Yes. I understand you're up on the beach in Cheeseman's Cove. Is that right? Yeah, I'm up there on, on uh, uh, they call it Cheeseman's Beach, but we always call it Cape Ray Beach. Very and, good. Uh, and I'm here, I'm here today. Now we're, we we just got a few lines and that put on to our try to keep her. Yeah, because I understand there's a concern that this uh, the sea might be trying or the ocean might be trying to bring her back. Uh, yeah. Uh, now I was down here Sunday afternoon. And where she was to Sunday afternoon, she'd been drifted now, uh, oh, roughly close to 200 feet now. Is that right? So there's a real danger yeah. that this might get uh, buried again. It's a, it's a danger. It's not so bad if it gets buried. Uh, the danger is now if it goes out and it's floating and, it, and gets into the, the shipping zone, right? Like uh, you know, it's a big, it's a big piece. It's hundred feet long, and I say it's it's forty feet wide. I've seen some pictures uh, taken with some of the pieces from timbers from this uh, vessel. It, it's massive. Yeah, I I, I took uh, I took pictures of all the timbers that that's ashore, and I and I measured them all, and I recorded it onto Facebook when I post a picture. I the size of them, they're 14 by 14, uh, some of them, and some is 48 feet long. I know a lot of people are speculating about what it could be. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I, I don't know yet, but I know it, it's an old ship. And this is what we want. We, we, we want to try to get, uh, see if we could get a name put onto it, uh, see if anybody perished onto it, or, you know, where it comes from or what, right? Anything else floating up? Uh, excuse me, say. Anything I'm else not... washing up on the beach? Uh, no, and this is the only beach that there's any timbers and material that come off that that ship. This is the only beach that is on. 
because we got beaches from from Cape Ray Air right to Port of Ass. And I checked the beaches, and this is the only beach worse too. And this is fairly intact. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the the, the keel and and uh, and a lot of the on both sides of her is still still intact. But I guess a, a few pieces have broken off since then. Uh, no, uh, nothing hasn't broken off since then. Not since you came in. But what what broke off? I think it broke off into the uh, the big storm that we had before. Uh, like Fiona uh, probably dislodged her from where she was too, because. She had to be buried over in sand because the the planks and everything onto her is is all clear. There's there's nothing grew onto it. There's no kelp or nothing like that that grew onto it. So it had to be covered up. I noticed one of the pictures, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I noticed one of the pictures. It looked like a, a piece of wood was broken and looked really fresh. Yes. Yeah, that piece there, it just one that's one piece of her. That that might have broke off into the storm, right? That's that that's part of her planks, and her planks is uh, is four inches thick and twelve inches wide. So there's not every ship is made like that. No, and they're all put put on with wooden dowels. Amazing. Yeah. So what are you trying to do there today? We're uh, we're trying to uh, secure here today. We got uh, tree lines on tour. We had. Uh, a team come up from uh, Port of Bath. They've been out here ever since Fiona started. Uh, clean harbors, uh, uh, cleaning up the harbors from all the stuff that washed overboard. So uh, they're divers, and, that, and they came up today and went out and uh, secured tree lines to her. Wow. So what are you securing her to? Somewhere uh, on the shore? Uh, she's yeah. We uh, here on the beach. There's a. Uh, there's rail, uh, uh, track rails that they had stuck up years ago for, for sort of railway wouldn't wash out. But all, well, Fiona had been, been destroyed all that and, and, and it's all sticking out now six feet high or more. So we got, them, we got her secured to them, right? Well, Bert, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. I know you're busy there. Uh, thanks so much. And if there's any updates, let us know. You're welcome. And any pictures on there I put on you, you're welcome to them. All right. Thanks so much. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And Bert Osmond is down on the beach there in Cape Ray uh, doing what he can with the help of uh, some local divers to um, secure what's left of that, um, he believes, to be uh, quite an old uh, sailing vessel. So uh, we'll have uh, more from the Port of Basque region, as a matter of fact, still with the South Coast. We'll chat with Port of Basque Mayor Brian Button about a few busy days he's had in Ottawa. And when we come back after the news break, we're going to speak with Richard Duggan. He's watching the by-election in Portugal Cove, St. Philip's uh, area, Conception Bay, East Bell Island, uh, when we come back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back on VOCM News Talk, and I have before me legislative reporter Richard Duggan, who is going to be providing VOCM's coverage this evening in the by-election in Conception Bay, East Bell Island. And you've been on the batter today. What's on the go? Yeah, so I've been on the go a little bit today. I went out and I visited a couple of the polling stations that are out around, and what I saw was a steady stream of people going in and out. It wasn't like 
overly busy now but you know the parking lot parking lot looked pretty full and uh the polling station that i went to and there are people steady stream of people going in and out so it looks like they've been pretty busy so far today um and now it'll be interesting now uh it was just over a thousand votes i think or maybe 1400 votes i think that were cast in the uh advance polls last week so now we'll see how things uh, play out now throughout the rest of the night. Um, but certainly going to be an interest. It was certainly an interesting race to watch over the past couple of uh, weeks because there's a little bit of extra interest in this district because of who had represented it previously and how things are going to play out. Um, but uh, just to uh, provide an overview of how uh, things are looking. So, of course, there are four uh, candidates running in this district. We have Fred Hutton for the Liberals, uh, Tina Neer for the PCs, uh, Kim Churchill for the NDP, and Daryl Harding running as an independent conservative. And if you drive through Conception Bay, uh, or sorry, through uh, Portugal Cove, like I did earlier, uh, the signs are just everywhere. Um, uh, a lot of those big billboards, and of course, n- now they're kind of <laughs> snowed in from yesterday, but there are little uh, glimpses of orange and red and blue as you drive through as well for those lawn signs. Um so that's how things are playing out right now. And then uh, now it's it's really just a waiting game. And I'm sure that all the candidates are very anxious waiting for 8 o'clock tonight to come so uh, they could see just how this uh, by-election is going to play out. Well, two nail-biter days for the candidates mm-hmm. uh, because yesterday we, we were supposed to have this all put to bed <laughs> by now. Uh, but uh, Mother Nature had other plans. So uh, a lot of people say, thankfully, that was uh, postponed until today because, uh, you know, it's really not fair if people don't get an opportunity to get mm-hmm. out to the polls. So, uh, and it looks like people are doing so. Yes, it, it absolutely does. And uh, you know, you mentioned the the, the anxiousness of, of the candidates. So that's kind of the the other side of that coin is that yes, the uh, the electorate get to go out and cast their their ballots and not have to try to shovel their way in. But on the flip side of that, you know, it's just that added day of anxiety for everybody else, uh, not just for the candidates, for but for the parties themselves to wonder how this is going to play out and stretching this out uh, for one more day. But it, it's interesting, especially I think there might be a little bit uh, with that call yesterday of, of uh, canceling everything and, and postponing it to today. Uh, if you remember the last election that was held, access to voting was a very big uh, issue. So I think maybe that might have been playing on people's minds as well in terms of uh, making sure that everybody has enough access to these polls today. And that was uh, one of the first things on my mind as I was driving in yesterday and anticipating the weather that was ahead and uh, thinking about, um, you know, elections, Newfoundland and Labrador's decision to postpone the election was, you know, here we go, a winter election, right? That's mm-hmm. what you're going to get. Uh, now, in Newfoundland and Labrador, the weather is not guaranteed on any during any time of the year, but uh, especially tricky in the wintertime. But uh, yeah, so you're going to be uh, providing our coverage for us this evening and uh, providing regular updates until we get a final result, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yes. So uh, now in a couple of hours, I'm going to head out and... Uh, I'll be floating around to each of the uh, the candidates' uh, offices and uh, just waiting it out now and going to see where the action is and uh, play it by ear and see, uh, you know, how things are playing out. Um, I would imagine, since this is only one single district, the polls close at 8 o'clock, so I would imagine at the earliest 8.30, probably closer to 9 before we start to get a result, if I would have to guess. Um, so it, now, like I said, it's just the waiting game. Um, the other thing to really mention 
as well with this district. Um, I mentioned that all the parties are obviously watching this very closely. This is considered to be a pretty key district uh, for the PCs because you know, uh, David Brazel, of course, held the uh, seat before, and you know he was in there for 13 years. But not only that, um, it's no secret that he was viewed as being a very popular person in the area and a former leader of the PC party. But all of that, combined with the fact that this seat uh, has been blue since 2003, so two decades, the PCs have had sort of a stronghold on this district. So they really want to keep it that way and that's how why they've put out so much resources into this and for the other parties the liberals the ndp and for uh, daryl harding as an independent uh for them to be able to sway that district after being after voting one way for so long uh well they'll consider that uh, to be a big win well, it's interesting, uh, whatever happens uh, this evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, we'll be uh, watching and uh, listening to you very closely this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Linda. Uh, VOCM's Richard Duggan, uh, who is our legislative reporter here at VOCM, and we'll have the uh, results uh, as they are uh, coming in. Well, when we come back after the break, we've been talking a lot about uh, the southwest coast of late. Well, Mayor Brian Button of Portabasque has had a busy few days in Ottawa. We'll touch base with him when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the mayor of Portabasque is in the nation's capital, and he has had a very busy agenda. He spoke today to the Canadian Red Cross Ready Conference and got a surprise face-to-face with the Prime Minister. I spoke with Mayor Brian Button this morning just before his keynote address to the Canadian Red Cross. Well, hello, Brian. Hi, Linda. How are you? Great. So you're in Ottawa. Yeah, I'm in the nation's capital, I guess. I'm in the heart and soul of it all, I guess, for for a few days here. And uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a busy time while I'm here. For sure. So you're there to attend a conference, is that correct? Yeah, I've been invited up uh, by the Canadian Red Cross at their 2024 Ready Conference. And to just talk about, you know, where we are and if we're ready for, you know, disasters and, you know, our preparation and those type things, I've I've been asked to come and uh, be a keynote uh, speaker and uh, do an address on Fiona and uh, how it affect our region and give a presentation on that. So uh, I will be speaking uh, before lunch today. How did you get that opportunity? Did they reach out to you? They reached out to me a while back. Uh, I think they may have, uh, you know, they've saw some uh, presentations that I have made and uh, they wanted me to be a part of it. Uh, They wanted me to come to Ottawa and uh, they thought it was important for the, you know, the rest of the country to to hear the story of, uh, you know, how a small town in Newfoundland and Labrador, how we reacted and how things went and how it affected the people. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's my honor to be here to, you know, tell our story and tell how, you know, right from the right from the beginning and how we've been doing and how we're preparing and how we prepared at that time. So it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's very interesting. There are a lot of people here. I'm at the uh, National uh, Arts uh, Centre here, and it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty humbling, really, to when you think about it. So I'm uh, quite uh, excited today to be able to present and tell our story. 
So what are you hoping to convey there? Well, you know, it's going to be talking about, you know, what, uh, you know, the types of things, what worked, uh, what didn't work. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about how we can be better prepared and what are some of the things or the implications of when these things happen, when storms happen. We'll be, you know, I'll be talking about uh, the realization that, you know, we see structural damage, we see those type things, but we also see uh, a lot more than that, especially when it comes to the mental health aspects of it for people and so on and so forth. So it's uh, it's it's very broad. It's uh, it's going to be talking about uh, quite a bit. Uh, there are many present there are many presenters as well that'll be doing presentations over the next two days. But uh, as a keynote address speaker, uh, I'll have an opportunity to share images, uh, share videos, and and to be able to uh, you know certainly talk about uh, what we saw and what happened in our region. Is there anything you're hoping to learn along the way? Well, you know, for us as well, you know, we uh, we've went through this and we've learned off the. Uh, I guess there was no textbook. There's there's nothing. We've been, you know, we were faced with something that we've never been faced before in in the province and you know in the Atlantic region for that matter. And it was, um, you know, we learned as we as we went, I guess. But here now we also like to uh, talk about a, a lot of suggestions on what we can do better and how we can be prepared and prepare for, you know, there's a lot of talk about climate change and how things and weather patterns are changing. And it's not about whether you believe in climate change or whether you uh, you don't. It's, it's about knowing that some patterns are changing and, uh, you know, we're having more storms more frequently. And it's about how do we prepare to be uh, better in the in the future to be able to respond to storms when they do come our way. And I understand you had an opportunity for a little unexpected face to face with the prime minister. What happened there? Well, it was uh, it was good. We were attending uh, Parliament yesterday, and uh, you know, taking in uh, question period, having a chance to uh, also meet with our uh, MP Minister Hutchings and having a chat. And uh, to our surprise, uh, the Prime Minister knew we were in town, and uh, he wanted to uh, invite us over, invited us to her, his office, and we sat and we chatted for a while. And before question period, and we he sort of, you know, he wanted to know how people were doing in our region and how things were happening and uh you know what's been you know more of an update i guess on how things are going and how how the people and he was more concerned with how the people have been and uh he thought it was i guess in his words it was you know uh uh, he talked about how the people were kind to him when his visit, when he did come and, uh, you know, survey the uh, the damages and survey the when the storm hit. And uh, he wanted to return to courtesy to invite us, invite me over and uh, to be able to have a chat and uh, look in on and check in on the people of our region. Were you surprised by that? I was. I was really surprised, to be honest, because it wasn't in the agenda. It was uh, wasn't anything that we were looking to do, or or anything like that. I mean, it's not something that you just call up uh, call up Ottawa and say we want to come on in and meet with the Prime Minister. That just doesn't happen. And uh, but to be there yesterday, and uh, you know, as we were uh, being carted around and being took around, uh, say that you know we've got to take a detour here. There's a there's a uh, special visit that uh, you have to make before you go to question period. So I ended up taking a detour, and I ended up uh, sitting uh, right in the prime minister's office and sitting having a chat. So it was a you know it was unexpected, but it was certainly very much appreciated uh, to know that uh, I took the time out on a very busy schedule just to uh, check in and see how things were going in our communities.
I know you weren't prepared for it, uh, but, uh, you know, were you able to convey uh, anything of concern, of added concern in the community? You know, we just, you know, we talked about the things that have been going on and the response and stuff and uh, just, uh, you know, briefly talking about how the people's been doing, where we are and what things are happening and the things that have been now happening with the high impact zone and so on and so forth. So we did have a, you know, a brief chat about uh, several little items, but, uh, you know, you're right. It wasn't something that we went, I went in there and I had a a prepared message, but it was a message where uh, he was quite interested in sitting and uh, chatting about it. So I really appreciate that, that uh, we did talk about that and it was uh, it was good. It was uh, it was certainly something that, uh, uh, for myself personally, I mean, it was uh, great to be to know that uh, you were hushered in there and and did get that opportunity at least uh, to be able to convey uh, to the prime minister on where we are, what we see, and and how are people. It was you know it was more about trying to talk about how the people have been doing and stuff. So it's uh, it's it was good to be able to do that. So a uh, busy agenda before you, no doubt. Are you going to get a chance to uh, take in any hockey while you're up there? Well, we did last night. Uh, actually, there was uh, one game left on the schedule before the All-Star break, and it was in Ottawa last night. So we, uh, uh, I got to go to the uh, hockey game last night. And uh, so uh, it was uh, great to be able to do that and went to the game and uh, a nice comeback win by the Senators, an overtime win. And uh, it was great. You know, the Senators have a player on their team, uh, Drake uh, Batherson, that has a Port-O-Basque connection. He's connected to the Savory families in Port-O-Basque. And uh, it was great to be uh, up close. We were sitting right next to the glass, and uh, we had our uh, Port-O-Basque flag there. We were pretty, you know, uh, proud to be able to display the Port-O-Basque flag. And uh, uh, Drake uh, noticed the flag, acknowledged us there by the glass. So it was a, it was a great night. Brian Button, I do appreciate your time. All the best now on your presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. So busy, busy couple of days in Ottawa for um, the mayor of Port of Bass, Brian Button, made a presentation to the Canadian Red Cross today on uh, Hurricane Fiona and the impact there um, and uh, readiness uh, in, you know, in the event of a of another major storm like the one we saw. Hopefully we never see one again, but um and also uh, with a little face-to-face with the Prime Minister to update him on how the t- town is doing and uh, taking in a little Ottawa Senators game. He's a big hockey fan, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Huge Leafs yeah. fan. He's like, um, you know. I think, didn't he get like a Leafs jersey during all of this and then he proudly wore it? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I think they even um, uh, got some support from the Toronto Maple Leafs yes, during themselves. Fiona and, and, you know, were able to boost up a few people by, you know, I guess presenting some of the swag and yeah. all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's nice to see um, people far and wide sort of stepping up when you see things like that happening. Well, you know how you and I are always, always, always talking about grocery prices. Yes. Why? Oh, I know <laughs> what you're going to talk about. Oh, um, are you talking about like the possibility of more grocers coming in? Well, there's that. Yeah. But there's also a very strong possibility that grocery prices are going to go up again. 
Oh, I didn't know you were going to take it in that direction. I'm Linda. sorry. Linda. Um, <laughs> the CEO of grocery giant oh. Metro. Now, people in uh, Labrador are well familiar with Metro because it's a, it's a Quebec-based Quebec. mm-hmm. uh, grocer. It's the biggest one in Quebec. Um, but it's one of the big, what is it they call it? The big four, the big five, is it? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. But anyway, uh, he's warning prices are going to start going up as soon as next week. How is that possible? Are Linda? you kidding me? Eric oh. Lafleche says that's because an industry-wide wide blackout period on supplier price increases is ending. He says there's going to be a substantial increase in the price of orange juice because of problems with orange crops. Watch the run on orange juice now this week. But there is some good news, he says. Lafleche says fewer suppliers are making requests for price increases. Well. That's great to hear, probably because they're making enough money now. I don't know. But, yeah. it oh, it doesn't seem possible, does it, that uh, grocery prices could go up yet again? Um, but on that vein, and what you were referencing earlier, Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne, who has the best name in the federal Doesn't cabinet. He just rolls off your lips, Linda. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Francois-Philippe Champagne says he's still trying to boost competition in the grocery sector by trying to get a foreign company to expand into Canada. Now, he's not saying which one that is, and I haven't been following this closely to know which one it might be, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's in the U.K. or whatever the case may be but uh, he isn't naming names but he he spoke to one foreign company just this morning the hope is is that if if a foreign player would come in that will increase competition what that suggests about competition within the major companies here in Canada I'm not sure Uh, But yesterday, Champagne wrote to the competition commissioner telling Matthew Boswell that large grocers have not to date been sufficiently transparent about the causes of food inflation. And now we have the uh, CEO of Metro saying, ah, it's going to go up again. And they have mostly failed to provide regular updates on initiatives to stabilize food prices. Oh, that's just makes me sick actually there should be a moral obligation to do so that's just a personal opinion like i say the days of just uh, grabbing the things you need and popping them in your cart those days are over no everybody's doing like you said the calculations Mm -hmm. right at trying to compare apples to oranges yeah and weighing things what it's like yeah and what i find really and you and i have spoken about this before as well yeah what i find really interesting is that you'll take a thing and you'll pick it up and you go wait a minute this doesn't feel quite the same and you bring it home and you put it in the cupboard next to the thing you bought the last time that's almost out and you go oh yeah look at how much that shrunk yeah shrinkflation yeah look at how you know is it just my imagination or do i have to go out and buy you know name the product here more frequently than I used to. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are, are doing that. I think we all can do our part while the prices are going up, just little tiny hacks, and that could be something as simple as shopping your own freezer. How many of us have stuff in our freezer that we just don't take out because it's easier to pop into the store, grab that because it's not frozen, but we need to do a little bit more forethought, I think, in terms of... You're absolutely right. You're, and, I mean, I'm caught in that little... Um, Got nothing Trap taken out for every supper. day, yeah. you know. It's like, oh, I meant to take those chicken breasts out. Yeah. Or, oh, we got that roast downstairs. I still haven't taken that out. 
and, and something this I know pancake I, pancake night I'm coming up soon right sort of soon um, but I was just thinking of pancakes. yes very pancakes, soon pancakes I don't know the date I have to google it right now um, but pancakes are something that was always really inexpensive and that's why the whole pancake night came to be you've spoken with Dale Jarvis before and um, one of the things that my sister would do, and I think this is a cool hack, you just make a bunch of pancakes when, just say if you had kids, you do, um, make a bunch of pancakes on one day and then freeze a bunch of them and then you pop them in your toaster as you need them for, for the remainder of the week, which I thought was pretty cool. That is a great idea. Yeah, instead of yeah. like just buying them the already frozen, for yeah. instance. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Um, I never thought about that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, in my case, it would be yeah. like, I'd have to clean all the chocolate out of it. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Because you have chocolate chips with yeah. berries in them, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of chocolate we'll chips. We'll have to melt them down and put them on after, Linda. you got to work with the times. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, shit, with more hacks, uh, join us tomorrow evening. <laughs> Didn't mean to hack. Just take over the show there. The OCM News Talk. <laughs> we should call it uh, Hack Job with. Oh, I love it. Claudette Barnes. Sense there you go. Authority. I came up with an idea. Let's go to our That's program amazing. director hack about that jobs. <laughs> The hack job <laughs> with Claudette Barnes. Uh, we'll be back on News Talk uh, tomorrow evening. Do join us then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye for now.